Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Ever have one of those days when everything goes wrong? <laughs> okay, you're with me. That's good. Um, and if you're a parent, those days more often than not show up on Sunday mornings. Any parents in the room? And when, you, when you're getting your kids ready for church, and I remember after getting um, them ready for church and sitting in the pew was some of the least spiritual, most disconnected from God I've ever been. You know what I'm saying? How do you go from wanting to sell your child to singing, you are a good, good father? Right? I mean, it's true. It, I, I'm not exaggerating. There are moments when, and I love my kids. Um, I've learned to love them more. Um, but uh, I remember those moments when you, you're, you're, it's just, it's like the perfect storm. You, you get ready for church and everybody should be happy, but they're not because they're kids and they're human. And you get when I say, just stop acting like a kid and go, and go to church, right? I, you know, and, and, and that's, that's maybe on a mild ver- version of things going wrong, but I mean, it could be just, just some things like uh, you, your, your gas tank is empty and you're in a rush, or you have this important document to send and the Wi-Fi is from the devil and it won't work for you, right? You would rather sleep in than go to church because some of the people there don't even like you, and you are not sure if you like them, but you go anyway because you're the pastor, Just kidding. I just want to make sure you're with me. But we, we've all had those, those storylines where we've, we have doubts about your faith. And sometimes it's not just a day, but your painful storyline is more of a season. Sometimes it's not just mundane, but it's actually mo- monumental. Because your, your teenager, teenager tells you that they hate you. Uh, when your spouse says, it's over. When the doctor sits on the side of your, your bed and says, there's nothing we can do. We, we, we could all use a better storyline when, when things go wrong. And today we are beginning a new series as we launch into the, this season, the, the summer, uh, called Storylines. Some of the most epic story plots are, are you know, in the Old Testament of underdogs and, or parables in the New Testament told by Jesus, the greatest storyteller ever. To, ever. And so stories draw us because... They remind us of no matter how tough it gets, how impossible it may seem, God has the power to intervene and write a better story for us. Amen? Amen. And we're going to focus in on some of these stories that will, that will strengthen your life uh, in your journey and change even maybe your story and what you're facing today. And John chapter 2 is, is an eyewitness story written by, by John. So you with me? Okay, John, written by John, that's good. And an eyewitness account is such a better story than hearsay, right? Um, when someone tells me an epic story, I'm, I gotta be, I'm, I'm serious. I'm rude enough to stop them in the middle of the story and say, were you there though, right? And it's when they are eyewitness to the event, the goosebump factor goes up. And the value of the story is even better, right? When that person is telling it from first person and they were there, they were in the moment, right? They were there when the car rolled over, right? I was telling that story this week. We were on the way back into town a couple of days ago. And we were like moments away from a moose accident. Like we were 
just, it actually gives me goosebumps thinking about it. The car ahead of us took the impact of the moose, but if it was another fraction, we watched that happen right in front of us. And so, of course, you know me, I'm telling the story, right? We were driving, right? And it was the hand of God, you know? Because I can say things like that because I was there in that moment. And John is writing this storyline as an eyewitness with a very specific purpose in mind. Toward the end of the book of John, he tells us the purpose of John in John 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you, are, if you have doubts, this is written for you. So you could believe. If you are, are skeptical, this is written to help you to come to faith. If, if you are dying inside, this is written so you can have life. There is this evil one in this world whose primary purpose, mission, is to turn your narrative into death. Because he comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. But Jesus wants to change your story because he says in verse 10 of chapter 10, I have come so that you may have, why? Here it is, life and, 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 and have it to the, to, the, to the full. Wow. In other words, he's saying, I have come to change your story because of his story. And today, we're beginning with a story that's a first for Jesus. It's where Jesus writes a better story and when, when something goes wrong. It's the first ever recorded miracle of Jesus, and it's in the setting of a wedding when something goes terribly wrong. <laughs> uh, and it says, on, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And see, the context here in this story is what you need to know is when, when it says the third day, it means this wedding is taking place on a Tuesday which is an unusual day for a wedding, but Jewish people married on Tuesday because they believed it was a double-blessed day. When you go back to Genesis 1-9, uh, um, it says that on the third day, God created the seas, vegetation, twice in Genesis 1-9, God says, it is good. It is the only day of the creation where God says, it is good twice. So Jewish people thought it was a double-blessed day and a, and a good day to be married on until you see uh, videos like this, right? And so weddings in that tradition was actually a week long. The, the bridal shower, the bachelor party, the weddings, the reception happened within the week. And everyone came for it. So Jesus, his mother, his disciples go to the wedding and something goes wrong. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have what? No more wine. Now let's settle this, okay? Once and for all today. Jesus didn't choose turn, turning water into wine as his first story of a miracle so we could debate whether or not it was real or fake wine. That's not what this story is about. And if we, if we relegate the story down to a debate over this, we grossly under, underrate what is going on in this story. Are we settled? Everybody say good? If you, don't, if you disagree with me, you can chat with Pastor Rob after. Okay? <laughs> Jesus' mother tells him, they have no more wine. This is a huge social embarrassment for the hosts of this party. The wine runs out on, on day one, and there is a week of celebrations. We have to recognize what Mary does. She makes a request, and the way she makes the request. And Jesus begins his story by turning water into wine. He did multiple miracles that were showstoppers, allowing the blind to see. 
the, the lame to walk, walking on water. This wasn't shouting to the storm, peace be still, okay? This wasn't calling Lazarus back from the dead. This was his very first miracle. This was someone running out of wine at a wedding reception. And in, in, in light of other needs around him, it's really not that big of a deal. And if I could choose a miracle for Jesus, I probably wouldn't choose this one as his starter. Maybe it would be Lazarus or something more epic, a more epic plot, a more epic storyline than this one. But what does, what does that tell us about Jesus' involvement in your life? He cares about the small things going on in our life. Jesus cares when things go wrong. Mary did, and it wasn't even her party. And says, what's, so let me ask you, what's too small in your life for Jesus? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in what? Everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. God doesn't answer our prayers based on the size of our need. Paul reminds us that the strength of removing anxiety out of our life is built around a constant communication to God, whether our needs are big or small. You hear me? Everything. I love how Mary simply goes to Jesus and says, the wine supply ran ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. She doesn't say, here are your choices. She doesn't say, here's what I need you to do, like most mothers, right? Talking to their sons. They give give the answer, the best answer. And that's why I do, uh, this is what I do when I am praying. Here's here's the need, Jesus, and I have already figured out how it's fixed. She, She just goes to him with the problem and trusts him with the solution. So let me ask you, what is your no more statement in your life? What are you running out of right now? Maybe it's, it's no more love in your relationship. Maybe, maybe it is no more forgiveness to give someone. Maybe it's no more joy. Maybe you have uh, battled a, an addiction for so long, and maybe you have no more strength. What, what is your no more? See, Jesus wants to write a new story for your life. And here's the, right, the key right here. When your story is going wrong, we do what? We turn to Jesus. Amen? They're not in Jerusalem here where, where news would have traveled fast, but they're in the obscurity of Galilee where nothing travels. And he chooses the miracle to remind us that we don't have to be in a life or death situation to get his attention. If he cares about something to drink at a wedding, he cares about where you are. Even though his, his, his response is a little confusing He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. (laughs) I don't think you need to read between the lines here. It's not my problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And see, Mary, we have to step back in this story because I've heard this story preached so much from the perspective of Jesus and his struggle here, which is important and is a part of the text. But Mary has been waiting for 30 years for Jesus to show his power. 30 years earlier, she was told she would give birth to a son, and she doubted that. But the angel said, nothing is impossible for God. 
How many times in the past 30 years did she wonder when he would show his power? Maybe, maybe when she found him in the temple at the age of 12. Maybe that was it. Or maybe when her husband Joseph died, she thought this is when he's going to show his power. But for 30 years, she remembered what the angel told her. And now she comes to Jesus with the need, and it sounds like he dismisses her because his time has not yet come. But he said that this because he knew that a public miracle would set him on a collision course to his crucifixion. But Mary seems so confident he will do it because she tells the servant. But the mother told servant, the servant, do whatever he tells you. And I love the layer in this that we don't see, but it's really there waiting for a miracle for 30 years, but yet still have this spiritual aptitude to know that when God shows up, he's going to do it. Amen? Do whatever he tells you. She didn't know what he would do, but she had the faith that whatever he did, even after 30 years of waiting, would be the right thing. Now there were six stone water jars. Therefore, the Jewish rite of purification is holding 20 or 30 gallons. See, the con contextually here, it was customary in those days to have these jars uh, that's obviously a lot larger than this. When you came into a home to use the water in those jars to wash your feet because the roads were dusty and, and it was a Jewish rite. Okay, I don't think anybody in the room likes feet. If you do, don't tell anybody, okay? So think that through. And so Jews would wash their hands before they ate and then again be, be between every course. So the jar's purpose was to clean them. It was, that, it was that purification that he taught. So Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Okay, six jars that when empty would weigh about 50 pounds. When they were filled, jars the, filled with about 20 or 30 gallons, they would weigh almost 250 pounds. So you get the picture here, right? And it says, and, when, and they filled them up to the brim, right to the top. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now think that through, okay? We, 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 we brush over this story. But these pots were set aside to clean feet and hands. And he tells the servants to take this water to the master of the feast. So they took it. it it's amazing. Right? I mean, it's, 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 a, you know, it's water set aside to clean and purify. And we have to recognize this moment. The jars were used for cleaning humans. They were filled with water. The servants assume as they, are, they go to the master, this is water. It doesn't say that, but you can only assume that. that this, like, they know that these jars are set aside at this wedding to clean people. And yet here they are, filled to the brim, and they take some to the master. you got to wonder what they're thinking, right? Am I in trouble here? Or are they just kind of laughing underneath their breath? They're going to drink water that cleans feet? Watch this now, you know, depending on your personality. You see, obedience is the key to ingredient to God showing up in our life. And if you want to see God show up in your life, do what he asks. And here's what we need to know about Whenever Jesus did a miracle, it was to draw people to God. Secondary to that, to that was meeting needs. And there's so much more deeper meaning to this story than whether or not this was real wine. 
You know, we can debate that in other places, absolutely. But here, I have heard the entire sermon dedicated to why this was fake wine. This story isn't about wine. The story is telling us if we want God to show up in our life, be obedient. You hear what I'm saying? Even when we don't see immediate results, even though it takes faith, even though it involves risk, even when it doesn't happen right away, Mary had waited for 30 years to see the fulfillment of the prophecy. And here's the best advice I can give to you this morning. When things go wrong, go to Jesus and do what he tells you to do. Amen? If that is filling heavy jars with water, do it. If, if that is staying faithful and committed to your relationships, do it. If, if that is forgiving someone who hurt you, do it. If that's getting up and going to work to a, a difficult situation, do it. If that is staying patient and wait for the love of your life and, and in the meantime becoming the man and woman of God he's called you to be, do it. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't quit, don't give up, because Jesus can write a better story for your life, one that is more meaningful and beautiful than you can ever imagine. And Jesus is the master of rewriting stories. He's the master. He takes addicts and turns their stories around. He takes people who have been abused and gives them a new story. He takes those stricken with disease and gives them a new body. He takes those riddled with anger and bitterness and gives them a joy and peace. Amen? That's what our Savior does. And no matter how tough things get and how big the giants are or how impossible the circumstances are, God has the power to intervene and write a new story for your life. He really does. We've seen this with people who attend small groups and in, in and through the love of that group come to faith, haven't we? We, we have seen God change stories of people who drove by this church for years and finally came to a service, and God has reignited something in them. God changes stories, amen? And I'm telling you, there is a direct connection between obeying God and experiencing a better story. The servants obey Jesus, and they take the jar to the master, and, and here Here's what happens, right? It's like, it's like one of those things you, you shouldn't look at, but you're watching anyway. It says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, <laughs> right? The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now. See, little did the bride and the groom know, little did the, the master of ceremony know that when they ran out of wine that day and they thought the party was over, the best was yet to come on the other side of doing what he says. And when Jesus is writing our story, the best is yet to come. This is your life. The story's bigger than water or wine, or whatever it looks like. This is your life. Remember when Jesus did a miracle, it was always done to draw us back to God. The miracle inside of all Jesus' miracles was and is to connect us to God, and, what he, and, and when we do that, he has the best for us. Anybody ever experienced that in the room today? Jesus was very purposeful by choosing to do this miracle. He was purposeful in choosing to take jars used for ceremonial cleaning, 
murky, filthy, bacterial-laced water pots for this miracle. He turned water from those unclean vessels into the finest of wine. The message here is that Jesus has the power to change the very nature of liquids and the state of our lives. That's how he changes our story. And when, when he takes things into his hands, it changes. You hear what I'm saying? That's the better story. He is consecrating us back to God. And in consecration, it's always about making the unsacred sacred. This is the plot behind the storyline. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross, in essence. We'll celebrate it today during communion. The picture here is water and the jar. And in, in, in a symbolic way, the miracle mirrors how Jesus' sacrifice transformed the rituals of the law into the gospel of grace. This is where you say amen. Because that involves you. That's your story. Wow. And when Jesus writes your story, if you come to me like water to wine, I can take what's broken in your life and give you a new story. Oh, man. That is my life. That's my story. And I can't, when I say that, I can't escape the emotions of it. That is my, it's it like turning water, bacterial water to, that is used for purification into wine, that beautiful experience. That is what Christ does in our lives. That's what he does. He, if you come to me like water to wine, I can take what's broken and change it because I am the great purifier. And I'll give you a better story. You see, the principle in terms of the best is yet to come is riddled through Scripture. You need to hear this today. The Bible says weeping remains for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. The best is yet to come. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? The best is yet to come. The Bible says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The best has yet to come. Look how the story ends. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Galilee and manifested his glory and is what his disciples believed in him. Wow. And this, this miraculous sign was not the most spectacular sign Jesus ever performed, but the first time Jesus chose to reveal his power at a wedding chapel because he could see long-term and not, not just in the moment. He realized he had to deepen the devotion of his disciples before he could begin his ministry of miracles that would change so many people's stories. And the disciples were so moved by that that they moved from following Jesus to believing. They put their faith in him. See, the key here, the main ingredient here is that our stories change when we go from following Jesus to believing in Jesus. And this miracle confirmed in the disciples, what they witnessed in previous interactions with Jesus. He, this is no ordinary person. He is the son of God. But they knew this when they moved from following him to believing in Jesus. You hear me? Many of you are here today 
As the team comes back, many of you are, are, are people of faith but need to follow Mary's example today. And you need to be reminded of how faithful God has been in your past. And Mary hadn't seen a miracle, as I said, in 30 years, but she had remembered an encounter she had with an angel. She remembered those words when she was told she would bear a son. And here it is right here. You've said these words yourself. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Here's the promise for nothing. Nothing. Everybody say it. Nothing. Let's say this whole thing together. For nothing will be impossible with God. And God wants to remind some of us today that you serve a God that is faithful. We sing around here uh, the words that goes like this, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence, you have never failed me. It's a kind of a new take on the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I've heard that song, the old version of that song, hundreds of times. And I have noticed something about that song when we sing it in the room. I look around and I, sing, I watch people over the years sing this amazing hymn. You'll see kids not really paying attention. But it's normal. It's, it's, it's a song, okay, Great is Thy Faithfulness. They hear the words. But not really, they don't really understand the depth of what this hymn is about, do they? And you'll, you'll see teenagers singing the words. Some of them could understand it. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, you know, I need, I need God's faith at a certain level. But anyone who had gone through something or, or who gone through something or older in years, you will see something that you won't soon forget. You will see white-haired men and women singing with heart and passion, right? All I have needed. Your hands have provided. And at the end, the builds to a crescendo that will move their heads and they will sing, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Why is that? Those who have been walking in faithfulness with God for so many years sing that song with such passion because they have learned in the course of their story God is faithful right would you stand with me all over the room in the course of the story they have witnessed answers to hundreds of prayers in the course of their story they have witnessed daring rescues in times of trouble when things went wrong amen and in the course of their story they have seen the fulfillment of God's promises Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.